0: I was singing away there, and then I got really conscious that I needed to cough, and didn't want to freak everyone out. I was like, "Unclean, <coughs> oh dear." Okay, we're going to look fourteen this evening, folks. Look fourteen. Um, now I want to start with a a question. What does being a Christian, mean. What does it mean to you? Maybe, if you have time, uh, maybe if I give you opportunity, you could come up with an answer that's maybe better than mine. You could come up with a very long theological answer, very uh, dense uh, in, in in rich language that you've learned over the years. Um. Maybe you'd struggle to actually pick one definition of lots of different answers possible. Oh, it's about being forgiven. No, 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 it's not. It's about having a relationship with God. No, 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 it's about heaven. No, 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 it's about church. No, 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 wait, wait. It's about purpose. No, it's about mission. There are lots of possible answers. So the question is then, what does it mean to you? There's lots of ways we can answer the question. I've had a bit longer to think about this, uh, because I've been thinking about it since Monday. Um, even a wee bit longer, because I've preached a, quite a bit of this sermon before, so uh, uh, you're, getting, uh, you're getting a slightly amended version of it. But here, here's what I came up with. There are three strands to it. It's about loving God. It's about reflecting God. It's about proving God. It's about our devotion, our worship to God. It's about our walking with God, our, our way with God, who we are our witness with God. Jesus was able to put it into one word. And that's really what we're starting to look at here Uh, as we get closer and closer to, to Jesus walking into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. As we get closer and closer to his arrest, his betrayal, his crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus is now going to start turning the screw a wee bit on some of the people who've been following him. Remember, he's not only just got the 12, he's got the 72. On top of that, there are many, many people who are following him. And Jesus now is going to start making it a wee bit uncomfortable for him. And really, I suppose, to understand why he does that, that makes tonight's message kind of quite important. See, for Jesus, it's about discipleship. If you want to really be called a Christian, then you have to be a follower of Christ. Where's Jesus going? Where's he leading? Right, well, that's where I'm going. I can't have him going off in one direction and me staying still. I can't have him going off in one direction, me going off another way. If I want to be a Christian, I have to follow him down the paths that he leads, down the paths that he has gone down. See, Jesus at no point calls us to be a convert. He calls us to be a disciple, a follower. The word Christian doesn't even appear in your Bibles until way on down later on. And it's used as an insult that the kind of, we kind of took ownership of, the little Christs. Yeah, that's us. That actually works for us. Yeah, we'll take it. We want to be the little versions of Christ. And so be warned, the language is strong, especially in this tonight as he calls us to discipleship and warns us of the cost that we'll take into a deeper gladness and a deeper joy in him. Remember, repentance isn't just about going one way that you know is wrong and then just stopping and saying sorry. That's not repentance. That's an apology. Apologies are good, but it's not repentance. Repentance is to actually turn around and to start moving in a different direction. And that means there's going to be resistance because everyone else is still going that way. Everyone else is still going a different direction. And so we have to then start forging our path back towards God, back towards Scripture in an environment where there's resistance that we didn't experience before, that we didn't have before we got saved. And so life in Christ, you need to understand, is totally amazing, but it's not easy. It can, it can be hard sometimes, often. But what I want you to see tonight is that even though it is not easy, it is worth it. That's the decision. And so the second half here, chapter 14, is about laying that out. Jesus is speaking to a large crowd of people who have started to follow him and he wants to inform them of what that actually means. If you're going to follow me, listen, you're you're, you're going to find the next section of this hard. You're going to find the next bit difficult because where I'm going, not everyone's going to come with me. And so... Some of these people who are following, they're only interested in the miracles. They're there for the show. They're there for the benefits, for the warm, fuzzy feelings. And so Jesus preaches in a way that will thin the herd because quality is more important than quantity to Jesus. Okay, I would rather have 50 people here in church that are genuine followers of God than 500 people who can take it or leave it, who kind of fall in and out of love, well, not really love, enthusiasm for God. Quality is always better than quantity. And Jesus would rather have less followers who really want to follow him than large crowds who kind of just float in and out of this. And so basically Jesus is going to say the same thing four different ways in this passage. There are times when it will be hard, and you maybe don't think it should be hard, but it still is. There'll be times whenever you want to maybe uh, pull back and maybe not follow. whenever you get to those times, don't quit following Jesus. Keep fixing your eyes on him. Keep looking to what he can do and what he is doing and follow him. Don't quit. Our society is full of quitters who who quit for lots of different reasons. People quit on God. Yes, okay. People quit on jobs people quit on marriages they quit on children generally speaking we're a society that wants the path of least resistance whatever is the easiest then we'll just go with that because it's easier we'll live with the lie we'll live with the guilt we'll live with the burdens we'll live with the brokenness if it's easier than trying to fix it but God says look follow me isn't going to be easy So if you're here wanting a smooth, easy, leisurely ride into your twilight years, you're not going to find this with me. It's going to be difficult, but it is going to be worth it. So, point number one. Don't quit. Verse 25, Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoa, that's tough right out of the gate. That sets the standard really high already, doesn't it? Please understand, no one teaches love like Jesus does. No one talks about love in a much, such a wonderful way about as Jesus does. No one demonstrates love like Jesus does. But here, is he really saying that if you want to love me, you have to hate everyone else? You have to be obnoxious to people. You have to be almost suicidal. You have to hate yourself. Is that really what he's getting at here? Because remember, the Bible is not just a simple textbook or novel. It is more than that. So we have to read it intelligently. We have to think about the words that we're reading. We need to expect more from Scripture. And so we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And we know that Jesus himself said in John 13 that, By this people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So he's saying that you need to love other people. So what's he saying here? Well, he's either contradicting himself or there's a deeper meaning. Here's what I think the deeper meaning is. I think what Jesus is saying is, look, if our families and our friends don't love Jesus, he still has to be our first priority. And that might mean that they feel like you're turning on them. Jesus, in the wider context of this passage, is saying that there may come a point when you have to choose between God and family unity. You may have to choose between God and a relationship of some sort. He makes it clear that he expects his disciples to choose to follow their teacher. Jesus knows now there's going to be several different ways this is going to play out. We heard about some of them this morning whenever Henry was here talking about Nepal. And really, there are moments in our lives when we'll be tempted to take the path of least resistance, to take the path that makes it feel easier. And it might be easier just to quit, not try. For some, it will be very much under your own roof in your family. Your family won't like it when you're reading your Bible. They won't want you to pray for them. They won't want you to talk to God, uh, to them. That's really hard. That's really hard. If you have Christian family around you that encourage those things in you, that you are blessed, that's a very blessed thing. You should be thankful to God for it, because it is hard whenever those people are discouraging it. And they are very good at making you feel awkward. And they're very good at making it hard at Christmas time whenever you want to give thanks for the food. Or you want to put Jesus into it or, or put it into the conversations and they want to shut it down. In some countries, your family will kill you if you become a Christian. We heard about that in Nepal this morning. A lot of the time it's figurative. It's figurative. And I, I've seen videos of families having funeral services for someone who's standing there watching it. And it's their way of saying to him, you're dead to us. It's as if you don't exist anymore. You're not going to inherit any money. You're not going to be part of it. You're gone. You're dead to us. And we're having a funeral just to, to acknowledge that. In some parts of the world, it's not metaphorical. It's literal. And they will beat you to death. That's pressure when it's coming from family. That's real pressure to quit on Jesus. But Jesus says, look, expect it to be hard, but don't quit. It is worth it. The reality is that not everyone is going to like the fact that you're a Christian. Might be your children who want you to approve of a lifestyle that you cannot approve of. and they want you to choose them over God, and you can't. Or, or Jesus knows what he is asking of you in these sort of circumstances. He knows that the world will ask you these, to pay this high price. His own family appeared, remember, and, and sort of wanted to kind of usher him away. Jesus was embarrassing them. He's saying things that really was kind of out of place, and so they want to kind of just put, kind of get him out of the way. Judas betrayed him, his friends left him. Peter and August denied even knowing him. Imagine like that. Some of your closest friends. Uh, Jeff, no, don't know anyone called Jeff. I'm standing right here. You can go through scriptures and what you'll find is Jesus' hardest days in earthly ministry were the days where he was alone. He's been there. when people turned their backs on him been there and so what you can't do is say i want to live the christian life but i just want the christian bits without the hard bits that's not the christian life that's not the life that christ led it's not even a non christian life it's not real life to have a life without hard bits all you know, right you can have, you don't even have to have christ and you still want to have hard bits in life you might as well have the hard bits with christ and go through it with him That's what Jesus means when he talks about carrying the cross. We really misuse that phrase. And it gets really disrespectful whenever we start using it for minor inconveniences. They say, oh, my car broke down now. I have to take the bus. Oh, I suppose it's just my cross I have to bear. See, if you were alive in Jesus' day and you were carrying a cross, it meant you weren't going to be alive in Jesus' day for very much longer. Alright, because it meant you were going to be convicted and you were going to die. It meant you were about to be executed. If you were carrying a cross, it meant death. Jesus says, Look, that's what it takes to follow me. You have to be willing to carry the cross. It means that it may mean that you have to die in some people's eyes. To some relationships. Some friendships may have to go some Romantic relationships may have to be kind of just struck out. Or there may have to be, and you may just have to accept that. And so Jesus is saying, look, if that's what it takes to follow me, choose my path over their path for your life. Follow me. Someone said we give so little to the one who gave us so much. Don't float along and quit when it gets hard. Keep going. Heard about a Christian girl. Her name was Karen. And she was 20 years old when she went out to the mission field in far off country. And uh, what she did was she left a wee letter behind to be read just in case she was killed on the mission field. People kind of just went, well, that's a wee bit melodramatic, but okay, love. She had only been away a couple of months when they had to read out her letter. I think it was... 2012, 2013, somewhere somewhere like that. Here's a rough kind of excerpt from it God's call isn't about being called to a place or a people group, it's about being called to Him. She goes on then to say, It is to care more than is wise, to risk more than is safe to dream more than is practical and to expect more than is possible. I am not called to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There's no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. Karen, aged 20. You know, there's something worse than dying. And that's wasting your life. Don't quit on Jesus. Jesus. I've seen so many people in a short space of time quitting on prayer and quitting on Bible reading and eventually they quit on Jesus and they live this boring life of comfort and ease. And when they die, there's no legacy. There's no impact. They've nothing to show for it other than a great golf swing. Don't quit. The church is full of men and women who have allowed relationships to dictate to them who they should be instead of allowing Christ to mold them and shape them. Here's the thing. For all the comfort and ease that they've chosen, they are still miserable. Jesus says, don't quit when other people make it hard. Point number two. Don't quit Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everybody sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began the building and wasn't able to finish. Again, if you want to follow Jesus, there's a cost. Better figuring this out before you start than getting halfway through and quitting. Two different ways of looking at this. Number one, you could be in church tonight and you have to learn how to say no. You have to learn to say no. You keep saying yes to people and all of a sudden you find yourself involved in 20 different things that you can only kind of give part of yourself to and you can't give yourself properly to it and you get to a point where you have to just pull out of things because you're exhausted, you're burnt out, you're shattered, you're pulled in too many parts and you needed to learn to say no because you look silly. You look silly. Saying, oh, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. Have you done it yet? No, I can't do it anymore. Better to commit to, to doing a few things well for Jesus than a hundred things that you can't see through. It's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is still a bit commitment, but let me put a slightly different twist on it. I want you to imagine that you're getting married. It's the wedding day. And you've had the ceremony, you've had the lovely meal, uh, speeches were wonderful, and you've danced the night away. And now some of the, the guests are starting to make their way home. And the bride will turn to you and say, that was just a perfect day. And you say, oh, it's perfect because you're here. And then she says, okay, I want a divorce now. Sorry, sorry, what? <laughs> you just said it was the perfect day. Yes, it was. And I mean, it's been beautiful, but I really just wanted to celebrate our love that we have right now. You know, I think white is very slimming on me. I have an affinity for, for wedding cake. And it was really great seeing all my friends and family together having a lovely meal and talking about how pretty I am. I don't really want to do this for 50 years, though. It seems like a lot. Doesn't sound great. Sure it doesn't. Uh, I, Ruth and I actually know someone who said that to their husband. Now, it wasn't on their wedding night. It was about a year later on. She turned around and says, Actually, you know what? I think I've just realized I don't think I've ever really properly loved you. I just got caught up on it. And I wanted the, the wedding. I wanted the experience. She didn't set out to do that. She wasn't like evilly planning this from the start. But she kind of realized that that okay i wanted the moment i wanted to capture that moment but i didn't want to commit to the to the whole 50 year thing afterwards see the bible continually uses that picture we're like a bride and jesus is the groom and our relationship is seen in terms of a marital relationship that commitment that he makes to us and that we make to him it is bonding it is relational it is deep and it is lasting But you see, here's the thing. Having a wedding is easy. Now, there's a few brides about the church. They might say it's actually really hard and really busy and really stressful. But it's easy compared to staying married. Staying married takes a lot more work. See, and some of you have got saved. You put your hand up, you prayed a prayer. Great. But now you're married, you're part of the church. This is where the hard work begins. 50 years of working it through, of as it were keeping that spiritual spark alive. Let's change the image. Forget, forget about weddings. What about a soldier who signs up at a time of a battle and he gets his uniform and gun, he goes to training and then he says, okay, we're sending you off to Afghanistan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They shoot back over there. I'm not going. I just really like the camouflage. I thought the training would be good fun. He says, yeah, but you do understand why we gave you the camouflage. You do understand why we gave you the gun, why we sent you to all that training. It's because they do shoot back. The battle's real. Oh, no, that sounds like I a lot of... That sounds too dangerous. No, I'm not doing that. So I could I could get hurt. He well, yeah, that's why we're asking people to sign up. That's why we're looking for volunteers. See, we need to be aware that if we're going to follow God, there is that cost, that cost of commitment, of seeing the thing through. Jesus will ask a lot of you. In fact, he demands all of you. He wants to be Lord of your life. He wants to be enthroned in your life. And what that means to be a Christian disciple means that you need to do your homework before signing up. Otherwise, you're going to be like this guy who builds a tower but gets halfway through and then goes, oh no, I can't can't afford to keep doing this. You look foolish. God says, look, I've made a lifetime commitment to you. I'm looking for you to make a commitment to me as well. Commit to this the way I've committed to this. Make this marriage work. Jesus says, I don't want to be in this kind of relationship, this one-way relationship where I'm totally in love with you and you're checking someone out, anyone out, everyone else out. Don't come so far and use me for the good stuff, for the blessings, for the miracles, for the comfort, and then walk away as soon as it gets hard. Don't quit on me. See it through. Make this marriage, make this relationship work. Point number three. Don't quit. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able... He'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Here's a picture of a king who decides to go to war against another king. And he gets his generals uh, all together, gets his armies together and goes, okay, guys, uh, ready for a fight. Okay, what's the plan? A plan, your majesty? Sire, we really wish you'd have came and asked us first. Because it turns out, for every soldier we have, they got two soldiers. If we fight them, sire, we're going to lose. So here's our plan. Our plan is to go on our hands and knees and beg for terms of peace. You shouldn't have done this. You should have done your homework. You should have thought of the cost that was involved. See, I wonder, your Christian life, is it a series of kind of bursts? I think of it as spiritual toddlers, okay? Because what a toddler is, is basically a crazy, slobbery mess of energy that will run around in circles, spinning and screaming and accomplishing very little until they get really tired. And then they just fall asleep. And then they wake up again. And they go again. Blah, and then they fall asleep and they have another nap. And then they wake up and they go. Ah, and they run around drawing the carpet and drawing the walls. And then they fall asleep again. And it's these series of bursts of crazy energy. Followed by spells of complete inactivity. Are you the sort of Christian who, after a week in New Horizon or a, a conference or every now and again a, a, a message here, and you sort of go, right, okay, let's go. We're going to do this. I'm going to be this person. I'm going to sign up here. I'm going to do this and go, yeah. Oh, that was a oh, whole What was that? Must have taken a head stagger there. And so you kind of backpedal. And then there'll be another couple of months where you're just having a wee nap spiritually. You don't do anything. And then I was on, oh, another conference, another weekend away, visiting speaker. Yeah, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to sign up for this team. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what came over me. Okay, no, I, I, can't, I can't sponsor that child anymore. Okay, no, I'm going to have to sort of rein that in. I'm going to, and we have these bursts of activity. And then, actually, I, no, that was, I got, I got too excited there. I need to kind of just rein it in. Like a king, he takes a head stagger and declares war. And then suddenly, when uh, actually that can't happen, there's twice as many of them. We need to backpedal. See, disciples aren't supposed to quit. The word disciple comes from the word discipline. To be a disciple means to be disciplined. To be steady, to be in control, to be following. See, having a wedding is easy, but to stay married takes discipline. Having uh, having a child can be easy relative to raising them, which takes discipline. Getting saved is easy; becoming sanctified is hard. Takes discipline. When was it? Maybe last summer. I think I heard the worst testimony I've ever heard in my entire life. It wasn't here, okay, it wasn't any of you guys. Alright. Worst testimony I've ever heard in my entire life. And it went something along like this. Before I got saved, my life was rubbish. But now I'm a Christian, life is great. He goes you liar. I actually got a wee bit cross because you're such a stinking rotten liar. I felt myself getting really worked up because that's not real. A real testimony from any believer who I have spoken to, who's been genuinely honest with me, a testimony from a true believer will go something like this: Life before Christ was hard. Life with Christ still is hard but it makes sense. It's worth it. I can, I can get through it because I've got Christ. I've got my eyes fixed on, a, on an eternity that lies beyond it. And so I can endure. I can go. I'm on a mission. I'm on a target. I've got a goal. I can do it. But it's still hard. That's been my experience anyway. If yours, if yours is like the first guy, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. I'd love to know your secret. I'd love to know how you do it. But for me, any testimony that I've seen, my own says that life before Christ, hard. Life with Christ, still hard. But it's worth it. Jesus doesn't make everything better in in the sense that it's just all bubble wrapped and it's rainbows and you live in a spiritual bubble where nothing ever happens. No, what he does is he takes your life And he makes your trials. He makes your. He he puts meaning into them. I see my trials. There's a purpose for it now, and all of a sudden it becomes lighter because I know that Christ is bringing me through. Listen, Christian, your life has a purpose now that it didn't have before. So don't quit. Ephesians two says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's a reason for it. So so don't quit. Or Ezra 10 verse 4 tells us, Arise, it's your task. We're with you. Be strong. Do it. There's a reason. It's meaning. It's purpose. Folks, we are part of a spiritual war and there are real casualties and there are real quitters. Don't be one of them who says, I want the glory of victory, but I don't want to have to fight for that victory. The world is trying to change this, and they're trying to do it with computer games. Let me explain. See, here's the problem with games like Call of Duty and others like it. You have millions of young, mainly male gamers we have a goal, a mission, a quest, this dream of being the hero, rescuing the princess, or saving the city, or beating the other guy, going on a crusade, winning the battle, and they're going to do it like this. This is how they're going to save the world. It's not real. The enemy is just pixels on a screen. The trophy isn't real, it's pixels on a screen. No one really cares. The victory isn't real. It's a game. doesn't count. The terrorists are still out there. Boko Haram is still out there. ISIS is still out there. There's still women in slavery and captivity. There's there's children being traded for money still in our society today, in our own country still today. Their victory in a game doesn't mean anything. It doesn't change it. It's fake. We've got a generation coming through of people who are so courageous when it's pretend, but also that same generation can't necessarily handle all the hardships of life and complex relationships. Mental illness is at an all-time high. Suicide rates for that same age group of gamers is at an all-time high. And here's what needs to happen, and, and it's my generation and, and those who are coming behind me. Here's the message. Get up off the sofa, give your life to Jesus, and fight in a real battle. Go on a real mission. Make a real Difference. Make a real rescue. Rescue women and children in poverty in difficulty, in slavery, and difficulty and slavery. And, and, and tells people in this generation of their need of Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. There's a world of online gamers who want to join a team, go on a mission, rescue the captured. Listen, that's the story. That's the story. There's people in chains of sin who need who need liberated. So don't quit. Get up off the sofa. Fight for your king and for his kingdom. Don't quit because the stakes are real. Some of you tonight, and you're maybe here and you're ready to quit. Or you're listening to the podcast and you're ready to quit. You want to say that you're a Christian, but you're not going to really sort of see it through. Listen, I'm sorry. The slots for hypocrites are full in the church. We're not accepting any more hypocrites. We are only recruiting disciples. We were going past uh, the Presbyterian church at Stormont there uh, earlier on today, and they've always got quite funny signs up outside the church. And uh, outside it, I saw today, it goes, wanted carpenters seeking joiners. I like that. We don't want hypocrites. We don't want quitters, We want people who are going to join. Who are going to follow. Okay. Last point. Don't quit. It should be easy to remember the four points tonight. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again if it is neither fit for the soil or for the manure pile it's thrown out? Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a very interesting sermon that Jesus preached, doesn't it? He's talking about salt. Now, their salt's different to our table salt. It's, their salt came from the Dead Sea, so it's refined slightly different. It's not pure. So if it wasn't refined right, the salt that they'd be left with wasn't real salt. It wasn't going to be salty. It wasn't going to enrich the food. It wasn't going to add flavor. And at the same time, it wasn't going to preserve anything either. And so unsalty salt, Jesus is saying, like, we all know it's worthless. It's not worth anything if it's not being refined right. As Christians, we're called to be salt and light. Salt is to enhance the flavor, to enhance people's lives, to bring riches, richness in, into people's lives. We're also called to preserve his kingdom, preserve his word, preserve his standard. Unsalted salt is worthless. Now, we talk a lot to the kids this morning about worth, that everyone has a worth. Why? Because the one who made them has said, said it, they have worth. And we had the bank note out and all the rest of it. Now the issue here isn't whether people are worthless or not. Of course people have worth. They are loved by God. The question here that Jesus is, is raising of the salt is, but are you useful? Are you useful? What's your contribution What use is salt if it's not salty? What use is salt if you're not going to enrich people's lives? If you're not going to preserve the things of God? What good are you? Listen, if you're a Christian here tonight, then you carry the name of God, you carry the image of God, the character of God, the word of God in your lives, the fruit of the spirit of God in your lives. Worthy living, worthwhile living is the minimum expectations. You should be salty. You should be enriching. You should be a force for good in people's lives. You should be turning people towards the goodness rather than people corrupting you. You should be able to preserve the things, preserve the gospel. Salt should be salty. It should be enhancing and enriching. It should be preserving. Being a disciple, that's the expectation. Get off the sofa get involved. And as far as it provides an opportunity for you to do that. Reach out, make a difference, start with your neighbor, start with the elderly in our church. Now here's the thing, we can't do it by ourselves. We need each other. That's why the church is so important. We work together, we build together. We do this as a community of imperfect People, we lean on Christ who leads us and we support each other as we go. And we get a kick up the backside every now and again from a very handsome young pastor at the front. But we don't quit. Christ did not quit unless I said earlier on. His family left him, tried to pull him to the side. They were embarrassed by him. Eventually they came around. Yours might too. They might not. That just before Jesus was arrested the night he was betrayed, Luke writes that he was uh, it was like he sweat drops of blood as he prayed. On the cross, he gave everything that he had left to give for us, but he didn't quit on us when it got hard. He pursues us, he forgives us, he loves us, he blesses us, he strengthens us, he doesn't quit on us even when we would give up on ourselves. He doesn't quit on us. He promised to never leave us. He promised to never abandon us. He promised that even in the battles he'd be there with us. And that's why we fight these battles. That's why we go into the battlefield. That's why I say don't quit because you don't do this alone. And some of you may have never heard this kind of sermon before. I said before, maybe you should have. I've preached it before, roughly. Maybe some people have lied to you, said that if you love Jesus, life will be wonderful and there'll be health, wealth, and all the riches that come with it. Any real testimony I've heard. Life before Jesus was hard. Life after Jesus is still hard, but it's worth it. It makes sense. The Christian life is not an easy life, but it is a full life. So don't get mad with God when things get tough, and say, "It would be easier if it just wasn't even saved." It would be easier if it just even wasn't a Christian. Listen, that's when you get mad at whoever told you life was going to be so easy and smooth. He didn't give you the full picture, but don't you quit. Don't quit because it's this that makes the impact on other people's lives. It's the overcoming the obstacles that shows people that Christ is real and makes a real difference. It's the overcoming the obstacles that brings us to the place of victory. I want my life to count. I want my life to have victory. I want to have a life of overcoming. But if I have to overcome, then I have to keep going when it gets tough. Otherwise, where's the victory? Where's the overcoming if I quit? <sighs> and that means I need to be prepared to fight and to keep going until I overcome, even when it's hard. That's how the crowns are won. That's how we get... how we get the crowns. It's how other people notice the real difference And you know, it's almost inconceivable that the Jewish man that we read about in this book would live such a life, and in the space of three years makes such a difference that around the world today there are billions of people who are following him. But this is the one who we follow. And we follow him with all that we have. And it is to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. That you should follow his steps. Keep following Christ. Keep being a disciple. Don't quit. I'm going to hand back to the musicians. We're going to sing a song. And then, um, Robert, if you just want to close in prayer, and then we'll go down for our coffee afterwards.